Hello and welcome to the game Euro 2022. After England reached the semi-finals in dramatic fashion, thanks to a Georgia Stanway cracking winner, we'll analyse the game in full. We'll be talking about Spain's time at the tournament as well and that performance which puts England into the final four. Who will they be playing? Well, we'll look ahead to Sweden's game. They'll be taking on Belgium in the quarterfinals and we'll also talk about the big one between France and the Netherlands. All that and more on this episode of The Game. Hello again, welcome back to The Game Podcast with myself, Hugh Wisencroft, alongside Gregor Robertson, Molly Hudson and Casey Stoney returns as well. We can all smile. The podcast wasn't cancelled in the end. England are through and they're into the semi-finals. That all thanks to a 2-1 win over Spain in extra time. There was drama, wasn't there? Georgia Stanway cracking home the winner after a late Elatoon equaliser in normal time. Esther Gonzalez had given Spain a second-half lead. And let's be honest, we were all concerned, all right? There was there was nail-biting going on, certainly for me anyway, but it does mean England go marching on into the final four. And it was interesting, Leah Williamson, the captain, afterwards saying that she never felt like England were going out, completely relaxed about it. I just wondered how worried did we all get? Casey, how concerned were, were you, especially as we reached the closing stages, that England were going to be going out? I wasn't really that concerned because I just always feel like we've got a goal in us, to be honest. And I just knew that with the changes that came on the pitch and had we have got maybe five minutes more down the line, I probably would have been very nervous and very nervous that my little boy would have been crying his eyes out because he, he gets devastated when England lose. But yeah, I've... I'll be honest, I was reasonably relaxed that we get back in it. Okay, all right. The players know best, don't they? Um, Gregor, Molly, how are you feeling? Molly? Yeah, we were not relaxed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, It's obviously one of those where, because it's a late kickoff, we obviously had to prepare what we were writing. um, And I was doing the report. And it was one of those games where you had to kind of send a certain amount of of words sort of on, on 70 minutes. So we got that bit out of the way. And then after that, you kind of focus on what your intro is going to be. I'd written a pretty scathing kind of, you know, this is the FA's fault. Um, it was all, do you know what? We just felt really deflated because, we, you know, we talked so much about what a big opportunity this was. And I know Casey said before when she's played in games where, you know, England have maybe gone out a little bit earlier than they should have done. It does feel like a missed opportunity. And I think that is what it felt like. So I think it was not just the happiness at England scoring, but it was that this whole wave of kind of positivity around women's football was going to continue because it it is such a big thing for the host nation to still be in it. But then as soon as that equaliser went in, we knew England would win. Like that was the turning point. I, I wasn't really that stressed. Well, Gregor would might disagree, but uh, I wasn't really that stressed once the equaliser went in. I think that was like Spain had lost their head on the sideline. It was all kicking off and it was like, right, we've got this now. But up until that point, it was very stressful. Gregor, how did you keep Molly level-headed for the closing stages? I didn't. We just tried to keep each other level-headed, really. I don't think it worked. <laughs> it was, I mean, Spain were outstanding in the first half. Let's be honest. They were, they were absolutely outstanding. And you thought... Crikey, we've really underestimated them. <laughs> Molly and I were talking about our predictions, saying, "Oh, these are way off." <laughs> um, I, you know, I was struck by the the kind of 
the frequent use of the word belief by the players afterwards. You know, we, we were in the mix zone until after midnight and spoke to a few of them, and they were they were all saying, "Oh, we, you know, we still believed that we could that we could get a goal." And I, I, I didn't see that. I really didn't see that until until the moment the goal arrived. I mean, the substitutes made a big impact. Uh, Chloe Kelly with a re- you know really direct running and paced in the right. Russo just as a bit a focal point and a presence up front, and ultimately that was what made the difference. You know, she her knockdown and. Elatun's run on to to get the equaliser, but I, I didn't see see it up until then. I saw them still work, you know working hard and probing, but I didn't really see anything to convince me that they were going to get an equaliser. But they found it. They did in the end find the equaliser. Yes, and and I agree with you. I think when that goal hit the back of the net, you had a feeling that England would go on. Now maybe that's the beauty of of hosting a tournament. And it was interesting to read afterwards, um, Casey, about about the meticulous planning apparently, um, of Serena Wiegmann, who had a plan for every every type of occasion, every type of possibility, every kind of challenge that would be thrown England's way, particularly in these knockout stages. Now, I wondered what your view was in your experience of of how to cope with, with knockout games with, with England, going into it, coming out of the ones that maybe you thought were going to go a, a different way and you've you've got that boost. How does that affect how you deal with games going forward? Yeah, I think the fact that she's covering the what ifs means that she can stay very calm and measured in the moment. You know, the fact that she then changes formation, Alex comes on, Millie Bright goes up front and Millie being up top as well as Russo gave them probably was the reason Ella Toon had a little bit more space for the knockdown because their focus became on the two big hitters and left Ella Toon to kind of poach that goal. So, And it meant she could just flip straight back into the four quite naturally um, with pushing Alex at left back. So I think she's obviously covered those. She was asked in the, in the media afterwards if they'd actually practiced it and she said no. So she covers it, but they hadn't practiced it because in tournament football, you only have so much prep time. So you have to prioritize what you prep, but they had done it in the Arnold Clark Cup. So they had had experience of doing it. She knew that they needed a goal. I thought that the, the, the people coming off the bench made a huge impact. I also think the Spain manager's choices of changes had a big impact on the game when he wanted to try and protect the league and he brought on arguably a defender who played in central areas and then I don't think they were as good going forward um, and it allowed England to get back into the game so it's in, in tournament football finding a way to win is all that matters you know and I'd like to say I did predict a 2-1 I thought Spain would score <laughs> and I also think the game changing moment is the one that Mary Earps tips because at 2-0 we're out I don't think we're getting two goals because yeah. I, I agree with Gregor. I, I was confident we could get back in it. I didn't know where we were going to get the goal from. I thought we were, we would get a goal, but I couldn't see where from. But that's a game-changing moment for me. If she doesn't make that save, we're out of the tournament. We're going home. And if we go home, we miss the moments like they're going to put up a massive TV screen in Trafalgar Square. We miss the moments to capitalise on the women's game and keep it growing. Now the momentum's there. If we'd have gone out last night, A, they would have faced a huge lot of criticism. It would have been as flat as hell in terms of the rest of the tournament. And I think we would have lost momentum in this country. And that's between that that goal that Ella Toon scored last night is so significant for the women's game in this country. We're going to come, I think, to talk about the significance of last night and, and, and managing to reach the final four and when it comes to those sorts of things. But just to, to round off, I think, some of the discussion about the game, I was going to come to the substitutions a little bit later on, but you've already mentioned them. A couple of you mentioned them. Kelly and Russo, they always add something. I also like the use of Millie Bright, get the centre-back up front. You know, we're always talking about Serena Wiegmann, what she can bring to the English game. 
Well, we've rubbed off on her a little bit, haven't we? Get the centre back up top when you need a goal. Exactly what you need in that scenario. But it's interesting because I remember at the start of the tournament, we were talking about Ellen White and the possibility that she wasn't going to start every game, wasn't going to play as many minutes as maybe she has previously. And Russo in particular has impressed every time she's come onto the pitch. Chloe Kelly as well. And that continued last night, Molly. And it made you think, look, is England's way of, of getting right through this tournament going to be that strength in depth? What do you think? I think it is, yeah. I think the the kind of opening passage of play where, where Ellen White absolutely sprints out to Mappy Leon and then gets hit in the face with the ball kind of, kind of shows what Ellen's all about. And we talked about it in the build-up that we needed to, to press the Spanish defence. I think I said in my report, that's about as close as we got to them for, for, for um, a, a few minutes in that game. I quite like this idea of Ellen starting games and then Russo coming off the bench because I don't think it works the other way around. It's all well and good saying, you know, Russo has been fantastic, which she has. You know, you literally can't fault what she's done. But I still don't think that means she starts games. I still think you start Ellen and then you bring her off the bench. And I think what was so good last night and really impressed me was that all through this tournament, we've talked about how good England have been in the wide areas. We've talked about Lauren Hemp and we've talked about Beth Mead. Neither of them played very well. Obviously, Lauren Hemp ended up playing a big part in the goal. But for, for large parts of that game, they weren't very good. I mean, Ona Batia, who we talked about before the game, was fantastic against Lauren, kind of won that battle. But they found a way with Chloe Kelly just to have that other option. And I think that's what's been really impressive that the substitutes, not only do they come on and they, they, you know, they bring fresh legs, they allow England to play in a different way. England can play differently with Russo up top than they can compared to White. And Kelly is, again, a little bit more of a different threat on the wing. I mean, there was a couple of times it, in the first half, it just looked like Lauren Hemp didn't have the confidence to go past the defender. And it's what she's so good at. But then Chloe Kelly just came off the bench, nothing to lose. Every time she was just attacking to get past her. And I love that. And I think that's what's so exciting about this team, that if it isn't quite working, you have another option. But for me, I think one of my favourite moments of the whole thing was... Deep into added time, seeing Nikita Paris and Jill Scott ready to come off the bench. And you just thought, we're in safe hands now because Nikita Paris hadn't, hadn't played in the tournament, you know, hasn't had the greatest season. But, you know, you tell her to run at that defence and she will run and run and run. And that's exactly what she did. And Jill Scott has that experience. And I think that's the real mark of... You know, we've talked a lot about squad depth, but what about those players that haven't, that have probably lost out? You know, Alex Greenwood could have started every game in this tournament, hasn't been. She came on, did a job, was fantastic. You know, Jill Scott, a squad player now, not going to be a, a starter, fantastic. Nikita Paris hasn't played a minute in the tournament, couldn't have asked anything more from it. And that's the real test of how happy those players are and how well Vigman is treating them behind the scenes. And, you know, Casey will know that as a manager. That could be one of the hardest jobs, you know, how you treat those players that aren't in your starting eleven. And clearly, Vigman is doing a fantastic job of that at the moment, despite the fact that she's not rotating a lot. What do you think about that then, Casey? You know, keeping everyone happy, is that one of the most difficult jobs, particularly at a tournament? Yeah, and I think it's so important. The experience I've had is when the managers have been really clear around their expectations so you can manage your own emotions as a player. So if I, whether I'm home or abroad or I'm getting on a plane or I'm going into a tournament, I know I'm either a start or a finisher or I might not even feature. If I know that, I can manage myself effectively. It's when I go into a tournament, I think I'm going to play, then I don't play and how I manage myself in that. I think she's very clear around what your role is 
what's expected of you and how you can perform. I think that allows the players to just stay emotionally in control, feel valued within the role that they're playing and it's important to the team. And she's very direct like that. And I I would really appreciate that management as a player because you know exactly where you stand and there's no BS. And as players, that is exactly what you want. It's a strange question because England have gone through, but how right do you think Serena Wiegmann got things last night? Um, Because it was touch and go. You know, you weren't worried, Casey. The rest of us were. You know, it, it could have gone one or two ways. You know, that ball lands for Ella Toon in the box in the way that it does. We get the goal. But there were long periods where, as you all pointed out, Spain were on top. Is, is this almost the most high quality team that England could have faced in terms of England possibly having a lack of control over the game? Yes, there are other good teams in the tournament, but we know what the Spanish possession is like. Is it almost, you know, this, this was the worst type of opponent for this England side? Yeah, I think we struggled, to be honest. I don't think it was our best performance. What I was a bit confused about is when the wingers kept swapping over because what's been really effective with England is getting balls really early behind back fours, getting it in the box early. And both wingers kept having to check back. And every time they checked back, it meant the Spanish defence could sink in and they couldn't get crosses in the box early enough. So... I didn't understand. I kept them on their natural sides. Yes, I thought on about you know, she had, for the first time I've ever seen it, she had um, Lauren Lauren Hemp in her back pocket. You know, you don't see that very often. But then again, did Lauren need to, I know she had an involvement in the game. Could, could we have essentially changed that position earlier? And both wingers weren't really effective, but you have to credit the left and right back for Spain. I thought they defended outstandingly. They really did. And they pushed them back in, in terms of attacking. Uh, you know, I think... She's not going to change it. I don't think she'll change it again for the next game. I think there was a little bit of fatigue out there too. Um, you've got to think about all the emotion that goes into games, how much that drains you, same players playing every game. And they said something like they've been together for seven weeks now. That's a long time, you know, before you've even kicked a ball, really. So, you know, she'll need to freshen things up in the second half. It seems she has a script that she sticks to, you know, dependent. She's obviously got her what ifs. But, yeah, it was the, the wingers, the winger part really, you know, baffled me last night. And Spain had done their research. They they kept Kira Walsh quiet and didn't let her dictate the game. And I think that really impacted on England's ability to possess the ball and, and switch play and do what they wanted to do. What did you think then, Gregor, about that that England midfield? Walsh kept quiet. Obviously, two goal scorers did come from the England midfield in Toon and Stanway. Um, and they are, I think, players that can have a huge contribution, particularly Stanway you know, turning into a key player, our midfield almost turning into a key strength as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember thinking in the first half, it must have been a really dizzying first 45 for them because they were really chasing shadows. Walsh as well, they were, they, they stuck to it. They really did. They, you know, they kept putting in the yards and covering the space and trying to snap away at the heels. But even on the ball, well, you know, particularly Kira Walsh, she didn't have any time. Occasionally she managed to switch play and, and you know, you saw the quality she has on the ball, but, you know, very minimally compared to recent games. And that's credit to Spain. Spain as I said, Spain were a joy to watch, really, in the first half. But there's a few players who really grew into this game, I think. You know, I, I was doing some of the, I was doing the match ratings and I'd be embarrassed to say what some of them were uh, <laughs> at like 75 minutes and what they turned out to be. Because someone like Stanway, I'd say even Lucy Bronze as well, she re- she was she had a tough, tough first half against Caldente. Like, you know, you were thinking they were maybe even targeting her. Stanway's another one. You know, she was, as I said, she was working really hard, but 
really having very little impact in the game. The front four the same. Lauren Hemp grew a little bit into the game, but it was still a tough night. She was miscontrolling balls, and you know, but Walsh and Stanway in particular, it, they really grew into the game. Just as a bit more space opened up, Stanway, you know, driving forward a couple of times, once or twice, she was fouled. Spain were really physical, surprisingly so, actually, compared to how I'd seen them in other games. But Stanway, yeah, Stanway's just she's that kind of. Player, as I said, I've said before, she makes tell, really telling contributions at both ends of the pitch, and that's not just the the goal. She's it's whether it's pressing, it's whether it's kind of shielding the back four sometimes, tracking runners, driving forward with the ball, and don't need to say it, but the goal was just a, an absolute thing of beauty. It was it was an amazing moment. I kind of the roof came off, and it was <laughs> it was it seemed so instinctive. It was like. She was. I was watching it back today, and I almost felt like she was. She was willing the defenders to come out. She almost wanted to play the ball wide to to Lauren Hemp. She was because that was a sensible thing to do, and they didn't come out to her. And she said that afterwards. Like they kind of half made my mind up for me, and she just took another half stride and let rip. And what a goal! What a moment! It was uh, only one small message to Georgia Stanway. Right, if you score another one, I got those. You have to milk the celebration just a little so, yeah. bit more. I mean, come on. <laughs> It was like it was the opening five minutes. I mean, I would have gone crazy. I mean, she was delighted with it. I'm just saying, you've got to milk those ones, all right? Look, it was a special moment. It was a, it was a special goal. Casey, I do think the Spanish defence could have done a lot better. The goalkeeping came into question as well. I'm not sure how much criticism the goalkeeper deserves. But to stop the shot and even to get a block on, you know, the angles weren't worked out right either. What did you make of it? I thought it was terrible defending. If you watch it, obviously I was watching it on the camera angle and I would be absolutely livid with my defenders. They left the frame of the goal open. They actually went and tried to cover hemp. Two of them went outside the frame. And I've always coached, defend the frame. If it goes wide, that's what goalkeepers are there for. They're paid to take wide angle shots. You know, you want it to go wide. You don't want it to go central. And if you know your players, you know, Stanway shoots from anywhere. So, you know, as soon as she gets within that range, she's going to let it fly. And she's got, you know, decent distribution. The goalkeeper takes a step to her left when she shouldn't. I think she's anticipating that it's going to go wide, that it's going to be a crossing position. The step to the left kills her because now she can't power off and get the save. So I think they'll be really disappointed, really disappointed with that goal because they, they left it wide open and it was it was begging for a shot. And, and we know Stanway can score those types of goals. And, yeah, I think I think defending was an issue for both teams. I thought as, as good as both fullbacks were for Spain I thought they found an area they could exploit against us with both fullbacks left and right um, and also I think I've said all, to- all tournament that the Spanish centre-backs are susceptible and I think they showed that you know last night on both goals what did you make of our fullbacks in the game? It's an area that I've had a, a close eye on from the start of the tournament. I, I remember after the first game saying I wanted a bit more from Rachel Daly, who is still not an out-and-out fullback. As Greg has pointed out, Lucy Bronze didn't have the greatest of games either. Is, is it just a bit of a blip? I thought Lucy really struggled, actually, technically as well. Her clearances, on the ball, decision-making. I thought she had a rough night, a really rough night, and... I think she'll she'll hope you know Lucy's a competitor, so she'll look at that and she'll learn and grow. I, I don't want to be overly critical of Rachel. I thought her footwork and her hip shape and her body shape and 
in, in the one v one defender situations wasn't good. But at the same time, when someone plays centre forward every single game of the season, you're asking them to play a fullback where they're going to get faced up one v one, and she got squared up, you know, and her footwork wasn't great, and she couldn't shift her hips. And I think you work on that consistently as a fullback. You know, how much work has she been able to do to prepare her for this tournament to play against the best? Now she's going to play against a, a Sweden side that you know that arguably, if they go four three three you're going to be facing the same test in terms of people that are going to test you 1v1. Um, and I thought she got exposed last night. And I don't want to be too critical because it's not her choice to play fullback. She's being put there. you know. And I thought she got exposed. And um, we got away with a little bit, I think, at certain times where they probably could have punished us a little bit more. I feel like right. I want to briefly stick up for Rachel Daly because I said to Molly in the first half that I thought she defended brilliantly all tournament and I thought she defended well in the first half actually she made a couple of kind of she reads the game well she's actually always in the front foot as well and that's what was her undoing in the end she she tried to pounce and get the ball where it wasn't there to be won and you have to say like Del Castillo I think it was who came on she was brilliant she twisted her up and yeah she was having a she had a nightmare of a second half but up until that point up until that player in fact I would say I think she's done really well like amazingly well considering she's a forward so you know, you think after that game and Green would come on and, and you know, was a bit of a, more of a calming influence, although she had a couple of moments too. You know, she was getting twisted a bit by the byline. You think that's a possibility of a change. But right through the tournament until that second half, I think she's been really on point. So it, it was a very tough half for her. There's no doubt about that. So it's a decision to make now. Yeah, and I also think potentially she was getting slightly overloaded as well. I don't think Hemp was doing her any favours getting back and, and doubling up with her when she realised she was struggling. And I think that potentially is something they might need to look at whether they bring the midfield close when the fullback's having a tough 1v1 or whether the winger drops in and helps. But yeah, I don't want to be critical because I think, like I said, it's a forward in a fullback position. She gives you so much going forward but you know that there's going to be moments if she's playing against very good wingers where she might get found out. Looking at Spain and their tournament as a whole, do we have, it's a weird thing, right? It's all in and positivity, but you feel a shred of sympathy for them with the big injuries that they had and the way that they went out of the, the competition as well. They took on the hosts. It could easily have been a final in, in many ways. And they almost got there. You know, they almost got there. It was extra time. They almost got there within 90 minutes as well. Maybe, Molly, the way they went about it uh, wasn't exactly to everyone's liking. Yeah, I think if it, you can see when you look at how they played last night compared to how they've played in the group, you can see why they were pre-tournament favourites because they were very good last night. I just think some of the, some of the selection calls from Jorge Vilda were a bit interesting should we say um i think gregor was right that athelia del castillo that came off the bench was fantastic i, I it was like so he, he he essentially started the players that had come off the bench against denmark that then won the game because the starting 11 against denmark was also wrong but then it kind of carried on into this one like that it, it seemed like whoever he brought off the bench played better than whoever he started but not in the way that we're talking about England, where it complements them. It's like it completely sort of makes you think that they should have started that player. I suppose the, the question marks we had over Spain before the tournament are still there. You know, we know what Spain are very good at, keeping the ball, controlling the momentum, frustrating you. And they did that for England last night. But I think they are still missing that striker you know, that that's basically an Ellen White. If they had an Ellen White or an Alessia Russo, they'd have probably won the game. They'd have probably, 
you know, gone further in the tournament. I think they're still missing that bit. And I also think their defense actually isn't great. And actually they were, they were a lot better. They were a lot better than they have been in the group stage. I watched two of the games live that they'd played in the group stage and they were really poor. Like as much as me and Gregor were like, God, we've really underestimated them. I actually don't think we did in terms of what we'd seen. We could only judge on what we'd seen in the group and they were bad. And they were a lot better. So, you know, credit to them for, for how they performed last night. I thought it was a bit strange sort of after the game. There was a lot of complaints about the England equaliser and whether Russo had, had elbowed Paredes. But, it, you know, clearly she hadn't or that's what VAR is there for. You know, if they'd have felt as if there was something there, they'd clearly check ticks. They check every goal. So I thought that was a bit odd. But, yeah, I think they did well. And I have to say, for... for for kind of listeners that, that won't have seen this, Aitana Bonmati, who was fantastic all game, fantastic all tournament, spent an incredibly long time in the mix zone. She spoke in English, which is not her strength at all. You know, she, she, she very much says she's still learning English. She did lots of Spanish interviews and then she came out again to say goodbye to everyone. And I think that was a touch of class from, a, you know, a, one of the players of the tournament, despite the fact that she's gone out of the quarterfinal stage. What about the way that, that Spain played, though, at times, particularly once they had the lead, Molly? You know, not everyone's a fan of what I dub s housery. Yeah, I, I, I got a bit of stick from, uh, from Spain fans on Twitter, actually. So I think I put in the first half, uh, Spain do love a foul, don't they? And it, it, there was just... Uh, I It's very frustrating when it's against you. It, it is very much like... Manchester City under Pep. They just find a way to get under your skin. And, and where we were sat in the press box, quite often there'd be a throw in. Lucy Bonds would throw the ball in. And Ellen White would be going to head it. She'd just get, she'd just get a little elbow in the back, a little push. And it wasn't wasn't quite enough to get a booking. It wasn't, wasn't really enough to get a telling off in the ref. It was just enough to throw you off your stride, just enough to get on your nerves. And that's what it was. And it was there was a lot of that in the first half. Really broke up the momentum. It's one of those where as soon as then England got in the lead, they did exactly the same thing. And actually, it reminded me of, of something Casey said in, in one of her columns for us about the second half against Austria and how we really didn't manage that game very well. And that was something that England needed to learn from. And they did. They really did manage it well. And obviously, they had Paris and Scott come off the bench as real finishers with that experience and that nous. And I think that there was one where Alex Greenwood kind of dove for this ball that um, looked like she'd got kicked in the head, hadn't, but went down, knew the ref would stop it because it was a head injury, knew that it would be a high foot, so it'd be a free kick for England. It was just that kind of level of, yeah, S. Housery. It was, but it was great. <laughs> so what we're saying is I think, that, I think they call it professionalism. Yeah, it's great when England do it, but Spain in the first half were a disgrace. Yeah. <laughs> we never That's... said there wouldn't be bias on this podcast, okay? Yeah. We never said there wouldn't be bias. Yeah, they were, they were kind of, in the first half, they were like on top in every sort of way, shape or form of England, and whether it be those physical elements and just dominating the ball as well. I think, look, if we're being brutally honest and you, you flip it up and England had played like Spain and England could play like Spain, you would feel really very bitterly disappointed that you hadn't won that game. Like, you'd come a long way and it could have been two goals up. Millie Bright was outstanding. Like, the number of times she made key interventions, whether, whether it was a tackle, a block, a header, and she had to be, you know? So it, it could have been more than one at, at, at half time. And then there's the looping shot as well, which was tipped over. So 
Spain will feel hard done by, but England just found something, and that's you know that's it's an old, old cliche, but it's the mark of a, of a of a good team. Yeah, and on they go. The, the semi final will be something that we can look forward to when we know exactly who England will be playing. I know Casey clearly has marked her favourites a little bit earlier on with her comments about who they're facing next. Um, but one of the good things about this was it was a record TV audience for a women's Euros in this country. Seven point six million uh, watching on TV, a further one point six million watching online uh, with the BBC in a way you know a game with that goes late into the night with drama and jeopardy can do a lot more to enter the public consciousness than another comfortable three or four nil win you know so I think the drama of last night also was very important to helping spark particularly England in this competition and that general consciousness around the tournament come to life really um is that is that how you saw things Casey yeah, and I only look back to 2015 when we went to the World Cup. We obviously lost in the dying seconds to Japan to an own goal. And I think that adversity and then going into a third and fourth place playoff and coming home with the bronze and beating Germany, I think that made the nation really get behind the team because there was some adversity, there was drama. The team still came back winning. So I think that people buy into that. You know, and I think, you know, we're kind of waiting as English fans for us to fail as well. And I think people, you know, are waiting for England to, we build them up, build them up. And then it's all of a sudden like, oh, well, that was rubbish. We're going to look. And actually to be able to find a way to win in, in the late stages. And, you know, I text on a batty um, last night and, and just checked in and she was absolutely devastated because of the time of the equaliser as well. And because they felt like they'd dominated large parts, they'd worked so hard and they felt that was their best performance in the tournament, yet they're going home. So, you know, they'll, they'll be disappointed and, and rightly so, because arguably they were the best team in the game for large periods. But, it's so positive that even when England aren't at their best, they can find and find that resilience, dig deeper and get the goal to win. And it's like we said, it's so important. Momentum's massive in tournament football. Do you think that late viewership last night um, will help bring people, though, into the competition a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think the fact that so many people watched it, the fact that it was almost like a cliffhanger, I've got to stay on here and see what happens, and people stayed engaged. Yeah, I think the fact that it's so dramatic, it's been on all the news stations this morning. You know, people, are, Ella Toon is the first name on everyone's lips this morning, and Georgia Stanway, and the fact that it was a really kind of good finish, to, it wasn't a scrappy goal that won the game, I think that's important as well. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think, and the conversation is changing. People are talking about the performances, who had a good performance, who didn't tactically, what manager got it right, what manager got it wrong. It's not, we're not talking about men's football and women's football. We're talking about women playing football. We're talking about performances and results. And I think that narrative changing is huge for the women's game. At the end of the day, that was first class entertainment, that game of football last night. That's what, you know, when you see a game like that, that's what everyone focuses on. And, you know, as you said, I think it's true that, you know, England blew away Norway and they feel like they haven't, hadn't really been tested until now. But you saw two top teams going at it, you know, really, you know, great technicians, great athletes, great goals. I don't think really people could ask for any more. Absolutely. I think it's it's not a good barometer, this, but you look below, below the line at um, Molly's match report on the website and there's like several hundred people and it's all kind of full of praise and there's always been the odd cynic here and there and, you know, not that you should take any notice of them, but, that feels felt like a change already. Just that one, just because of that one game, everybody's now talking about what happened in the game rather than the merits. Otherwise, you know, of cynicism about women's football. 
positive for you too, Molly? No criticism under your under your article. I mean, that's a big thing. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I always find that funny that uh, it never criticizes the writing; it criticizes uh, women's football's existence. But <laughs> there was a there was a it was really positive. Yes, I was quite surprised when I read that. I was really happy about that. And also, we were in the press room, and they had they had like Sky Sports News on the um on the screens in the press room, and they were showing us Box Park in Croydon. And it wasn't quite reminiscent of the of the men's like pints going flying uh, last summer, but it wasn't far off. And it's like people will watch that and think, actually, next time for the semi final, I want to be part of that. And you can feel it's really growing. And, and as Casey said about the the big screen that's that's going to be up, and and I think it is really buy into it now. I think I was a bit disappointed about the viewing figures in the in the group stages. I thought they might be a bit higher because it's a big tournament. Quite a lot of people knew it was happening. But I think I think that will be a big moment, just uh, as the guys have said, the, the manner of the victory. And, and yeah, I think there's a lot of good narrative to come as well. Obviously, Germany, Germany is still in, kind of with one eye on the potential of that England-Germany final. I mean, there's nothing bigger, is there? Yeah, exactly. Um, listen, loads more football to come. Um, fingers crossed for England. They'll play Sweden or Belgium next. We're going to look ahead uh, to the final two quarterfinals. We've reviewed two of them for you already. So if you're listening on Thursday, you want to hear about the Germany game, uh, go back to our last episode of the podcast. We'll take a look at Sweden against Belgium and France against the Netherlands next. Casey, I know you've got to leave us. Thank you for being with us for the first part of the podcast. And we'll see you again next time. So before we end today's podcast, um, there are a couple of huge games in the quarterfinals for us to look ahead to. Sweden, who topped Group C with two wins and a draw, take on Belgium, who took four points from Group D. That's the group that France won. As Casey alluded to a little bit earlier on, some people think this is a foregone conclusion that Sweden will naturally be the winners of this game. But it might be tough for them. They've had a couple of COVID cases. You don't know. There might be some more on the horizon as well. And Belgium have been a bit of a surprise package, maybe stronger than many would have thought, but then again, certainly not as strong as the Swedes. Is is this only going to go one way, Molly? Yeah, it was a really interesting group, I think, Group D. I was very surprised that Belgium came through it. But I think, you know, when you're in that position, and we talked a little bit about Austria, it was a little bit similar, the fact that they managed to beat Norway. I think when you get into that stage, you, you must take so much confidence from that, so much belief from that. I think now... Most of the teams in this tournament are, are capable of defending and making things difficult for the opposition. And undoubtedly, that's what Belgium will do. I think the reason I sort of tipped Sweden to to kind of win this competition at, at the start of at the start of it is, is because of how well-rounded they are. And I think that's why they I still think they'll win. They are very well rounded. They've got the experience as well because because of the Tokyo Olympics where they obviously got the silver medal. They've got the experience now. They're, they've got a lot of, of strength in depth. They were always the dark horses. Now they're not. I think sort of further into the competition, maybe if they do get through against England, they might start to feel that pressure a little bit because they're not really used to that. But I think I think it is hard to see Sweden not winning that. What do you think about this game, Gregor? Is it is it going to be a, a one-horse race? Well, Sweden, just the kind of emphatic nature of their victory against Portugal 5-0 was a bit ominous, you know. It felt like they that was their kind of... them finally clicking into gear in this tournament. They've got some, you know, great talent. Kosovaria Slari is one of the players I've, I've enjoyed watching most in this tournament. The way she, she's linked up, particularly with Black Stanius, there was, there was a 
I think it was a goal that was chopped off actually in that Portugal game where she had a beautiful little flick kind of through her legs and a little Cruyffy flick through through ball, but it was it was cancelled for offside. They you know they they've got some real real talent and as I say that was a bit of an ominous result. Portugal were a team as well who had kind of surprised people too and people quite enjoyed watching and and had a, they carry some threats. So just to wipe the floor with them in that manner was was quite ominous. I would yeah I would expect them to win to be honest. Yeah, I think I agree with, with both of you on this. Uh, might be one of the more straightforward quarterfinals. The final one probably won't be. It's got the French who were top of Group D, as I mentioned, taking on the Netherlands, who finished second narrowly in Group C. They also finished on seven points alongside Sweden. So it's a high-quality quarterfinal, and this one will be a lot more difficult to call Molly. Um, what do you think the game will come down to? I think it will really be about how the Netherlands can kind of grow into it because obviously they've, they've had a lot of disruption in the group stages. They've had a lot of injuries. They've had some COVID cases, you know, Miedemar coming back. Well, I assume she'll be, be fit to start that game because she's, she's now tested negative eventually will be huge for them. I think because we we've seen in the women's super league, you know, Viv has, has the quality to just change a game in a moment. And I think that's what you need in these big knockout games. You need your big players to stand up. And I think that will be huge. And I think it's also for France, they've got a real hoodoo of like tournament knockout games. I don't think they've ever got past the, the quarterfinals in the in the European Championships, which is remarkable when you think about the talent and, and strength and depth that France have. So I think I think Holland, although they're Although they will probably be the underdogs going into this game because of, of their performances in the group stage, I think they'll think that they can get something out of this. And it will be interesting to see how France cope when it really comes to a big pressure game because they haven't really had that yet. It was a bit similar to England where we expected France, Italy to be the big test and then Italy were very poor. So I think it'll be interesting to see how France get on against a genuine you know, world-class side. Yeah, I, I think it will be a, a tough game for both. Gregor, are there key areas that we should be focusing in on? First of all, I just like I agree with Molly in that they've both had kind of disrupted tournaments, and you know France started so well, obviously, with that that uh, hammering against of, of Italy, and then it's been much closer and cagier since. And they've also lost Marie Antoinette Cototo to an ACL injury, which is a huge blow. They've got. Huge talent in the ranks. They brought in Melvin Mallard, uh, 22-year-old Leon striker. She scored uh, against Iceland. And they've still got Diani. They've still got Delphine Casc- uh, Cascarino. So many, so many, so many talented players in the ranks. Miedema's return could be huge because she is a player. We saw it. We saw it in, in the group where, in the first game, where she just... She can grab the game the game by, the, by its lapels and kind of... <laughs> And change it single-handedly. So if she's back and fit, then that that could be a huge, you know, it is a huge boost for for the Netherlands, and it could be the difference. I don't, you know, I think I think Molly's right. There's still this this kind of question mark about France, despite that barnstorming start. It's just not it's not continued in that vein. It's been. It's, there's, there's still question marks over this French side, so it's going to be a fascinating matchup. It absolutely will. This is one where I think, as you know, I love to do. We can go for predictions on this, right? It's incredibly tough to call. It's going to be a fantastic match. Everyone should be watching or listening to it. Can you call it, Molly? I'm going to say two-one to France. I think I definitely think both teams will score in this one. Okay, but but why France? 
Why have they got the edge for you? I just think that the amount of players that can score goals, I mean, as Gregor said about Mullard, kind of came into the game. What wasn't a starting striker and was fantastic. I think they have that strength in depth, whereas I think Holland at this tournament are quite reliant on a few key players, obviously Miedemar being one of those. And I think just that strength in depth, they don't quite have it. Okay, all right. Uh, Gregor? I think France narrowly. Uh, uh, do you want me to pick a scoreline again? Because I was woefully off the last time. <laughs> My friend, it's all fun and games. Go ahead. Uh, I'm going to go 2-1 as well, I think. Okay. Also, you know, Holland have lost Lika Martins. I think we should point out she's out with a, a foot injury, which is a, another big blow as, you know, just as Miedema returns, another of their huge players falls out. So, you know, that could be important. And I think, I agree with Molly, I think France have just got, more goals in their team. I think, and I'm happy to stick my neck out on this to say that, to, to be very specific, two all after extra time, it will be the first penalty shootout of the competition and I'll go for France on pens. But I'm going 2-2 two, two after extra time, all right? Maybe even one all in normal time. Who knows? Like, Let's be very specific with our That's predictions specific. here, especially <laughs> after I tipped England 3-1, right? Okay. Um, listen, we'll react to all of that. We will look ahead to the semi-finals when we know exactly who, who England are going to be playing as well. So much more to look forward to across the tournament. Thank you for being with me, to you, Molly, Gregor, and of course, Casey Stoney, and to all of you for listening. Check out some of the brilliant articles and stories that we've got for you on the Times app right now. Make sure you uh, leave a comment as well, just a positive one under everything that Molly writes. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. And I think we'll be seeing you on Monday. Stay tuned for the next episode. And remember, hit subscribe if you don't want to miss a single one. 